I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bare man. I've breathed the mountain air, man. This is the road less travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Road Less Travelled podcast. It's Nikki back in the seat with you again this week, and welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast. Don't forget that you can interact with us by dropping us an email, which is fatcat at iinet.net.au. You can also interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us too on YouTube and jump onto the website which is fatcatmedia.com.au and you can catch up with previous episodes of the show, a little bit more about what we do at Fat Cat Media. And one of those things, of course, is the Road Less Travelled podcast. A big thanks to those people who have uh, interacted with us, dropped us uh, SMSs, which you can do too on 0427528467. We really appreciate your feedback and uh, please keep it coming. This week I thought we'd uh, delve back into New South Wales Queensland Territory with the Darling River Run in New South Wales New South Wales New South Wales. Now the Darling River Run is Western New South Wales, follows the famous river, its town's history and the unique outback environments of that particular region. But first of all, a geography quiz. So what's less than a thousand kilometres from Adelaide, from Adelaide, from Australia's three biggest cities and dishes up true taste of the Aussie outback? And the answer is Burke in New South Wales. Yes, that tiny dot on the map that for many of us is a convenient place to restock before a broader adventure into the Yondo. It's also surprisingly close. Remember, we're talking Australian outback close to a fair chunk of Australia's population, including Brisbane, 924k, Sydney, 758k's and Melbourne, 980 k's away. Burke is one of the bigger towns on the Darling River Run that meanders from Walgett in the north to Majura on the Victorian border. It's a fascinating insight into the former thriving port towns that played really an integral role in transporting wool and establishing inland Australia as a source of income. In all, there's 730 kilometres to play with down the run, but for this adventure, we're showing you how you can really change it up, craft your own side trips into it, delving into the best outback New South Wales has to offer. There's national parks, Aboriginal culture, and an insight into what makes the outback tick. The Darling River is the perfect spine to soak up the outback with a within a long day's drive of big civilization. Now, much of the Darling River run is well-packed gravel roads, but like all outback adventures, there's always the risk of punctures. And while 2H on the two-wheel drive will suffice for much of the trip, it pays to have a proper 4x4 for variable road conditions, and that way you're not limited to any, any planned side trips. So we head now to Burke, and let's talk a little bit about Burke. So whichever way you attack it from, Burke is certainly a decent drive, and the final run reinforces that you certainly are in a less populated part of the country, wayward kangaroos and all. Rolling into town, well, it's certainly a welcome respite to the vast openness of the country that sprawls off in any direction. It's impossible not to soak up at least some of the rich agricultural history of Burke from the moment boots hit the pavement. There's some regal two-storey buildings there that also help the cause. Now, modern Burke doesn't have the thriving industrial industrial nature that defined the place in the late 1800s when dozens of wood-fired paddle steamers carried wool bales from surrounding farms down towards the Murray. Instead, today it's a more relaxed outback town, albeit one oozing character from its working days. Now, if you want some respite from banging tent pegs into dusty earth, there's some surprising finds, including the Riverside Motel with its beautifully restored high ceiling rooms and the main house that no doubt bore plenty of brews when it was the Telegraph Hotel. 
The Burke Bridge Inn is also a characteristic antidote to a motel. It's outside the main town alongside the oldest moving span, moving span bridge in Australia, constructed to allow passage for the boats that were the lifeblood of the river in its working heyday. The old Burke Wharf is the former heart of the town. Its spectacular multi-layered jetty is the perfect place to soak up the tranquility of the slow-running river. A ride on a paddle steamer is also a reminder of Burke's formerly prosperous past, but during holiday times, it certainly pays to book to save missing out on the limited daily runs. Even without the aquatic adventures, there are lots of things to explore in and around Burke. You can take the long road to the northern side of the Darling, and that forms a natural barrier on the edge of town. It's steep banks overshadowed by ageing gums. The short but informative maritime trail even showcases the ruins of one of the original boats, and the Burke Wharf is no less spectacular from the opposite bank. The lack of development certainly reinforcing what the area was like prior to European settlement. Now, a tractor-sized 1923 Crosley engine is a stone's throw away from the banks of the Darling and is regularly fired up for tourists. Now, while this particular engine did no work in Burke's early days, it was hundreds of kilometres away generating electricity back in Sydney. It's a reminder of the industrial past of the town on the unofficial edge of outback New South Wales. So on to Gundabooka. Any Darling River run will include plenty of Ks travelling the main gravel roads that head southwest from Burke, but it's worth looking further afield for some rewarding add-ons. If you head south on the Kidman Way towards Gundabooka, which is one of those outback little gems that throws up rocky surprises in pretty much an otherwise vast, flat and often featureless land, which, to be fair, certainly has an appeal of its own. Now, just be aware, road closures are common around here after rain, so ducking into the Burke Visitor Centre before leaving town is worth the five minutes to ensure that you're really properly prepared. Delving deeper into the southern reaches of former grazing lands takes you down to Mulgowan, an easy drive with well-marked facilities. If you're not up to one of the longer bushwalks in the park, the 1.4-kilometre track through Molini Creek is less daunting and is certainly wonderfully picturesque. Now, the short walk over a rocky pinch and into the mostly dry creek is a pleasant change from the vastness elsewhere. A rest on a rock is certainly a chance to reflect on the serenity of a place that doesn't look much changed from what it would have looked like thousands of years ago. But it's the Aboriginal rock art at Mulgowan, or Yappa, most come for. It's something that doesn't disappoint. Walkways and fences make the main site obvious. Images of emus and humans on overhanging legends, ledges rather, are easy to make out. You can follow the rocks further around for another batch a few hundred metres along. Just be aware there are various campgrounds among the dense vegetation, uh, even an old shearer's quarters and homestead providing self-contained accommodation for larger groups. There's well-posted well posted road signs, they direct you north back to the river run or you can keep the National Park theme going with Turali on the north. The former pastoral land was reclaimed from the government and a designated state area uh, was over a decade ago marking it one of the newer places for visitors to explore. If you want something a little bit different, have a look at station stays. Sheep and shearing are obviously big business in northwest New South Wales, but a growing number of stations, they now starting to cater for 4x4 adventurers as well. 
Rose Isle Station is one of the early contenders providing well-manicured campgrounds or something closer to nature which you can do along the river. Now sure, the campsites are numbered, but you've got a patch to make you feel like you're one of the only ones there. It's a drive to the amenities, which includes a newly established donkey shower complete with blue sky view. Be sure to stoke it up with wood to keep things nice and toasty. Now one thing that isn't in short supply is firewood, courtesy of the hardy trees surviving on often sporadic rain and whatever they can draw from the river. So it's a short drag of some larger logs to keep the coals burning. Oh, and also don't forget the morning tea. You can see some um, baking skills. You really don't want to miss it, and it will fill you in. She'll fill you in on a story or two. That's Samantha from this particular station stay, and uh, certainly one to put on the bucket list. And as I said, plenty of station stays starting to pop up, but Rose Isle Station is one that uh, we certainly enjoyed. Camping accommodation choices ramp up as you continue along the journey. Trilby and Kalara are two popular choices, or there's Dunlop Station that was once more than a million acres, that's a million acres, and it has recently undergone a restoration having been abandoned for years. They poured a heap of money into it, it looks fantastic. They also do an 11am tour, which is a fascinating insight into life on a really big sheep station many moons ago. It also includes full access to the homestead and the old store that provides supplies to workers and neighbouring properties. There's no shortage of stories for a reminder of how tough farm life was way back when. And get ready too for one about the meat ants. Dunlop is great camping too. One of the picks is wheelchair camp. Ask them about the name. There's a half a story to go with it too, which in the end of a line of camps giving the impression you're there alone. If you're not one to brave a swim, it's certainly well worth it. An abandoned fish trap even provides the chance to catch dinner. I'm not joking, this is all all part of it. You can go to Louth and Tilpa, the road that vaguely follows the Darling River. It certainly conjures up images of a meandering track, but it's mostly very well-maintained gravel, albeit with a bit of the outback caveats ready, so be be ready rather for anything. Dips, corrugations, potholes, the occasional pop-ups are an after-rain. There will be big bog holes that should be avoided where possible. They're the very least to stop churning up the road surface. Tiny Wub pub towns hugging the riverbank break up the drive Uh, there's a general store and a cemetery are the main appeal at louth that and the quaint bridge shrouded by gum trees that allows a crossing to the north of the darling louth is one of those towns that would most sort of most would sort of blaze through unaware of its history the cemetery is a good place to start rather than the crumbling headstones so common in burial grounds, burial grounds. There's one enormous shining headstone that lives up to its name at sunset, reflects the golden light from this. It's about a one and a half metre uh, Celtic cross through town, albeit momentarily. The monument to local women, uh, local woman rather, Mary Matthews, was erected in 1886 and remains a beacon. The Tilpa pub is a must stop to bend an elbow on a cold brew. It's a popular watering hole with good reason. How they got the hot chips better than most city pubs could be a testament to the TLC that they do out in the kitchen, all of which suggests that it pays to allow time to refuel with sprawling outdoor tables catering for overflow. If you don't have time for a feast, make a small donation, grab a pen to scroll a message on the pub walls. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk more about the Darling River Run. More in just a moment. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. 
If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travel podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Welcome back to The Road Less Travelled, and I've got to say a massive thank you to Artie Stevens from Radio Bayside down in Mordialic. Artie has uh, been absolutely forthcoming in assisting us with uh, the quality of the sound of the podcast and just little tips and helping really with production, and you would have heard the new intro to the show. You'll hear the outro of the show as well. That is thanks to Artie Stevens and Radio Bayside. So, Artie, thank you very much. Really appreciate your support and your mentoring and uh, just really trying trying to help us out really appreciate it so back now to what we were talking about on the darling river welcome back the peru darling from tilpa most adventurers stick to the river but tracking north uh, takes you to peru darling national park it's vast scrubby country that has far fewer tire tracks than the other roads around this area while the regular river run has its fair share of cars during the tourist season, it's refreshing and more reminiscent of the wider outback to see open roads virtually devoid of other vehicles. The occasional shingleback or wedge-tailed eagle gives an inkling to the wildlife on offer, and visiting after rain, the flies and mozzies are also very friendly. Peru Darling has the sort of roads that are fine in two-wheel drive most of the time, but having, as I mentioned earlier, a 4x4 is a must in case things get sticky. Picking your way around mud holes and ridges can easily slow those higher speeds elsewhere. It's rocky country with hardy mulga and saltbush scrub and the majestic Piri Lake at its heart. Fed partially from the Great Artesian Basin, the permanent water source is bursting with bird life, so don't forget the binoculars. Braver folk can go for a dip or break out a canoe for some outback paddling. Next stop is to the Opal Country in Whitecliffs and home of the underground living Whitecliffs you would have heard about on the Australian TV show if you get Foxtel or Mate or whatever where they do um, outback, the Outback um, Opal Hunters. Thousands of rock piles have transformed this barren rocky landscape, an eerie visual reminder of the town's reason for being. Now, whereas big mining companies dominate the collection of most minerals and gemstones, opal mining is mostly the domain of individuals and families hoping to strike it rich by picking away rocks for the proverbial coloured needle in a haystack. White Cliffs is famous for the giant pineapple opals that collectors pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for, something that acts as a lure for the strike at riches. There's the occasional grand glassy, glassy residence on one of the lower hills at the centre of town, but for the most part, the underground dugouts and the basic houses are an indication most are yet to hit the big time. A driving tour around town reinforces the sole reason most are here opal mining. Trucks and mineshaft buckets absolutely litter the landscape. The occasional camper van and well-used truck break things up. Optimism runs high for many, but be careful not to wander around too far from your vehicle because those rock piles are alongside often very deep holes that could nicely ruin a holiday. Now book early if you want to stay in the in dark and 23 degree cool of the underground underground motel too or you can take a tour underground to see how hit and miss opal mining is and there's no shortage there of fascinating stories on now to Wilcannia and sure the Darling River Run continues far further than Wilcannia taking in the beauty of the Menindee Lakes or the culinary feasts of Mildura or you can head west to Broken Hill then onto the Flinders Ranges and beyond. Burke and Will's country is not far away nor is Birdsville. 
and these these places we'll touch on later on this year. Back to Wilcannia, it's also an easy place to pull up stumps and head for an easy black drop drive home, although not after some exploration. Whereas Burke had begun to capitalise on its tourist appeal, Wilcannia has yet to catch up. Many buildings remain empty, businesses abandoned. The lack of accommodation in town reinforces its current standing, although Warrawong on the Darling a few kilometres south has cabins and camping with basic facilities. Warrawong's take on Bondi Beach is a bit different to the Sydney version, but at least it has red and yellow flags. I won't divulge too much, as it's uh, check it out if you can. Now, there are elements of Vilcania that remind of its vibrant past, the grand buildings as graceful as ever. There's some genuinely magnificent architecture there too. Dig deeper and there's lots to explore, including details of the Wilcannia Rowing Club. Yes, it was a thing. Or the old Lion Brewery owned by Edmund Rich before he crafted Riches into a true Aussie bloke's beer. Beautifully maintained buildings are a grand reminder of the town's wealthy past. There's a self-guided tour of town. Make sure you check out the hospital. It is the bare minimum to learn more about a place most don't bother stopping for. Well, Kenya is a place with plenty more to offer than its lack of facilities would suggest. If we were cracking out the crystal ball, we reckon the history and architecture suggest that sometime in the future, Well, Kenya will be more of a tourist stop than the shell it is today. As it is, it's a fitting stop on an outback adventure that nicely melds Indigenous and European history into a relatively accessible part of the country. Now, the essential information for this trip, Burke is a relatively accessible entree, I guess, to the outback Australia life and terrific Aboriginal and agricultural heritage, superb camping and other accommodation options. There is, too, bush camping along the Darling River Run, but utilising the facilities of a station is pretty much more comfortable way to do it while still feeling like that you're alone. Also, take the swimming gear and binoculars to make the most of river life. If by the end of the Darling River Run you're up for more, there's no shortage of places to explore. You can head to a couple of hundred kilometres west to tag along with the Burke and Wills country or a similar distance to Broken Hill then onto the Flinders Ranges or you can set the compass north for Birdsville and the Mighty Simpson. Make sure though, of course, if you are doing these types of trips that you do keep in contact with the local authorities and uh, and also the local tourist authorities to learn of any road closures. They're common out this way too after some rain. Now, if you would like more information on where to camp, where to go, uh, places to see and do, there is a website for the Darling River Run, and it's called thedarlingriverrun.com.au. There's also business directories too, as I said earlier, places of uh, interest where to stay, more about side trips you can do, national parks, um, some outback travel tips too, and some side trips that you can do to Cobar, to uh, Gudonga, the Great Artesian Springs. We might talk a bit about that. Walgett and all so white cliffs because without without out in that area of um, the outback the great artesian basin is something that um, really feeds a lot of the boars out there and if you happen to be out there there's some fantastic places you can stop and the the gudunga uh, great artesian springs uh, it's an, an oasis so imagine waking up to a complete oasis in the outback of New South Wales where you can now at this Gudunga Great Artesian Boar Baths Complex. It's located on the edge of Gudonga in Queensland Street and you'll find here, you'll find a brand new purpose-built, fully wheelchair-accessible pool that's fed by water from the Great Artesian Basin. The mineral-rich waters from deep underground the 
artesian basin maintain a constant temperature of 40 degrees in the pool so it's really like soaking away in your cares in your own big bathtub now the therapeutic benefits of artesian waters have been acknowledged for thousands of years right around the world the mineral rich artesian water has been known to boost blood circulation reduce stress promote sleep relieve pain provide relief from and heal skin problems the benefits they say are endless now if you're worried about missing your daily gym session fear not a fabulous new set of outdoor hybrid gym equipment has been recently installed so it makes this total little hub for health and fitness you can visit the Briwara shire council website for further information on this of uh, the I think it's Gudunga Great Artesian Baths, G-O-O-D-O-O-G-A. And I've just jumped on their website, and it's just absolutely fantastic to look at as well. So Gudonga, Guduga, there you go. Now I've got my teeth in, Guduga. And again, you can jump onto the darlingriverrun.com.au, find out more about it, or head, as I said, as I just jump onto the Briwarina Shire Council website for further information. And um, we had the pleasure probably I'd say mid-1980s, of heading up to Birdsville around that area, Udnadatta and, um, you know, places like Dalhousie Springs and things like that that were highly untouched at that time. And, um, yeah, the the boars that you see along the way, and as I said, the Dalhousie Hot Springs, you could sit in there and it was, it was actually stinking hot, but um, fantastic place to, to see all along that particular area. Well, as I said, we'll talk about that a little bit um, as the show goes on during this year. So the Guduga Artesian Springs onto that website, as I said, and it just goes through promoting sleep, blah, blah. Um, yeah, give the Browina Shire Council a call. Jump onto their website, browia.newsouthwales.com.au, and uh, you can check out um, more about these hot springs in uh, back of New South Wales. And I guess, too, it's worth noting um, and touching on the subject of the Darling and the Murray Rivers have not exactly been left in the best condition. You can watch a documentary called The Forgotten River, which is the story of the Darling River, Darling River, and it's told by the people and the communities that are most affected. And I guess, too, we need to acknowledge that the magnificence of the Darling River really has to be seen to be believed. It's nearly 1,500 kilometres in length, and it becomes Australia's longest river system when it runs into the Murray at Wentworth in New South Wales. Its basin exists across state boundaries, and it is the lifeblood of communities in New South Wales. Wales, Queensland, Victoria and South Australia. It stretches across an area roughly three times the size of Germany. But the Darling River is dying. Its poor health is a result of over-allocation of waters to northern irrigators, polluting runoff and years of drought. This Forgotten River documentary is a collaboration from the Canberra Times. Um, Dion Georgiopoulos is a photographer and national reporter John Hanscom. They went on a trip to outback New South Wales late last year to listen to the stories of the people of the Darling or the Barker as the First Nations people know it. And um, the Forgotten River team with um, the voice of Real Australia host Tom Melville, wanted to take listeners and readers to the banks of the Darling River where, despite decades of neglect, the people refused to give up fighting for the life of this national icon. Now, throughout 2019, the Darling River actually ceased to flow in many locations, leaving communities that rely on its flow at a loss. Thankfully, though, the increased rainfall has improved the river's flow and its overall health. 
After harrowing scenes of fish kills across the Menindee Lakes in 2019-2020, the lake system has now reached 100% of its capacity. It's an encouraging sign for the river system, but for those who live on its banks, they are very aware that no amount of wishing will ever break the reality that bad times could arrive without warning. You can listen to their story in their own words with the Voice of Real Australia podcast series. The documentary supports the Forgotten River podcast, which is a four-part podcast special with a, a set of articles, photos and videos telling stories of the Darling River and its people. You can listen to the full story on the podcast. You just search for Forgotten River on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your local your preferred app. And you can use um, uh, like Spotify, Google um google podcasts and things like that so i really encourage you to jump on and have a listen to that and and also to have a a look at the uh forgotten river um a a really good documentary series and it's quite compelling and it makes you stop and think and um it's a fantastic series that i highly recommend that you do stop and have a listen to the podcast series and do watch the documentary Now, as I've said many times, being out in the road, you don't need to be having tins of camp pie or tinned baked beans. You can actually cook some nice hearty meals. And in particular, we did one when we were recently out on the road for sausage rolls. Now, sausage rolls are a great standby, not only for a hungry kid or a hungry big kid, but a great finger food too. And they can be frozen and served with a homemade tomato relish and they make a really good hit. Let's have a little simple recipe. There's two cups of cabbage, finely chopped, one and a half cups of grated carrot, half a cup of spring onions finely chopped, a cup of breadcrumbs, a tablespoon of two tablespoons of Worcestershire sauce, about 250 grams of kangaroo mince, 250 grams of beef sausage mince, a tablespoon of native pepper, two tablespoon, uh, two teaspoons of tomato, rather, a teaspoon of native pepper, two tablespoons of tomato paste, five of those little shortcut pastries, you can get them out of the frozen section at your local supermarket, an egg for the egg wash, and sesame seeds, which are optional. If you put all the ingredients, except for the pastry, egg, and sesame seeds, into a food processor, you can mix it together. I simply use my stick blender for this, and it works really well when you're on the road. Once the mixture has come together, it doesn't matter if it com- isn't completely smooth. There's a few chunky bits of vegetables it's sh- showing. That isn't a problem. It just adds to the look. You can place one sheet of the pastry on the bench and put a row of the meat mixture on it. You start at the meaty end and you roll it up as per a sausage roll. Brush with the slightly beaten egg and top with sesame seeds. Cut into sausage rolls. I cut the roll in half and then I cut it in half again, but you might want a smaller or larger slice. It's up to you. You repeat the process with the other four pastry pieces. You might want to also divide your mixture into five before you start to uh, obviously ensure that you get even distribution onto the pastry. You can place it on a baking tray lined with baking paper. Cook for about 50 minutes until golden brown. The oven temperature should be about 190 to 200 degrees depending on the oven and the size of the sausage rolls. You can also whack them in the travel buddy as well. And you can enjoy with homemade tomato relish where I'll put the recipe up for that too. So it's just an easy way to make sausage rolls. And as I said, you can do them in the caravan oven. You can do them in the camp oven too. Or you can whack it in the travel buddy. And the smell is absolutely divine while you're driving along the road and you've got that going on in the back seat of the car it's just absolutely scrumptious and uh yeah just a good little as i said for the kids um for hubby or just a snack when you're on the road maybe just want to do that for lunch while you're actually out traveling now if you have a recipe that you want to share or you've got a book of 
book of recipes that you'd like to share, drop me a line. I'd love to have them. Um, and we can, uh, sharing is caring, and we can certainly put the word out there and uh, pop a couple of recipes up each episode and try them. And uh, if you've got those recipes that you'd like to share, drop us a line, which is fatcat at iinet.net.au. You can SMS 0427528467 or just simply search on Instagram for the Road Less Travel Podcast 2021. That's us. Or on Facebook, the Road Less Travel Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Now, I think everybody likes the idea of getting new gadgets or just little tricks and fiddling around with doing things that improves um, your time on the road or your time when you pull up camping. So we've been doing some research and a bit of playing around, doodling around with solar and inverters. Now, we've got no affiliation with the following brands and we purchase these ourselves. We have the King's 250-watt portable solar panels with the MPPT built-in regulator. This runs an Anderson connect, uh, connector and also alligator clips that can plug into a 4-metre cable. So that hooks into our King's AGM Deep Cycle 115-amp battery and box, which is pretty much a power station of itself with cigarette sockets, uh, USB charging ports, Anderson plugs, and also got a little isolator switch too. From there, we connected the King's 1500-watt uh, pure a SYN wave inverter that converts 12 volt battery power into 240 volt. It's off-grid living that we've had connected. So now we can run our fridge, angle and our cooler and also a couple of lights in the caravan. We are creating enough solar to keep the battery charging throughout the day and used throughout the night. So I'd really love to know what keeps you powered whilst you're on the road and off-grid. Love to hear your thoughts and of course you can interact with us. Jump onto our Facebook page which is Roadless Travel Podcast Australia. Love to hear from you and uh, we'd like to also get your take on how you've set your caravan up or how you've set your tent or maybe your four-wheel drive up for uh, for when you pull up by a river somewhere when there's no, um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a designated caravan park, there's no electricity or running water, how that you've gone setting it up. I think it's really fascinating. And I guess, too, that there's a sense of achievement when you put all that stuff together yourself and you can actually put it together and it works and you give yourself a bit of a fist pump to the air and go, yes, I did it. So I'd love to hear from you on the little tricks that you use while you're out on the road or even setting up so that you can go off grid camping. Now just before we go on this week's show and leave you to uh ponder your next trip and get that planning we hope that you're certainly out there enjoying the road and the travels we are aware that some of the audio quality hasn't been the best and this is due to a few factors whilst we're actually out on the road and trying to record in various environments there have been times where i've been stuck in the car trying to record on my uh, iphone to try and get some audio through so just letting you know that we are improving this with fat cat media and the high quality audio shouldn't be something to strive towards it should be the standard for us this is a sign that we take our show seriously and so our listeners should too. So rest assured that improvement quality is happening. Thanks for your support and your feedback and please come at, keep it coming. We really appreciate it. We can't improve unless we get that kind of uh, feedback, whether it's con- constructive criticism, whatever it may be, um, even a thumbs up to say that you, you're doing a good job. We appreciate it. We, we really ask that you do uh, subscribe to the uh, podcast feed and if you've got any um, trips that you've got coming up, you've just done a trip, just drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got an interview that you'd like to do with us, drop us a line and let's have a chat on the road less travel. And that wraps up this week's episode on where we followed the Darling River Run. And we hope that you've enjoyed it. Look forward to your company next week on the Road Less Travel Podcast. This has been Nikki Shea. You've been listening to the Road Less Travel Podcast and I'll talk to you very soon.
Bye for now. I've been everywhere. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travelled is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. Yeah.